So literally, when you look at your life, all the bad air quotes things, and I say air quotes, it doesn't mean at the time when Gio died it wasn't bad. It was fucking horrible. Mm. And at that time, I wasn't ready to work on it and heal it and all that bullshit. But once you move through the tough thing, when you look at your life and go, all of these bad things connect me to a certain group of people. I can talk to foster kids. I can talk to widows. I can talk to sexual abuse survivors. I can talk to all these people, moms. You know, I can talk to miscarried women. Like, I now have multidimensional, like, I've made my awareness and my compassion and my heart and my, my microphone big to reach all these people. So when I share something on my podcast, I openly share it because I know there's many people that can have went through that. And at least I go, hey, I see you. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're the same. And they go, oh, shit. So consider when bad things happen to you. It just allows you to open to that group of people. And maybe you're giving visibility. Maybe you're helping them heal. gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons, into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping the Michello on the other side. Let's get juicing. Born in the US and raised by a mother with bipolar, Erica Kramer was physically abused and neglected from a young age and so spent much of her childhood in and out of the foster care system where she was sexually abused. She was then kidnapped by her estranged father, then reunited with her mother a year later. Erica suffered two serious car accidents, one of which she had to relearn to walk again, then lost her first husband to drink driving not even a year later. Completely lost in the wake of his death, she followed love to Australia and after a string of unsuccessful relationships, met her now husband and they now have two young boys. Together, they've pioneered a self-love movement. You might know her as the Queen of Confidence. Erica is a life coach, podcast host and an inspirational speaker, empowering women to embrace themselves for who they are. This is part two of my chat with Erica and if you haven't listened yet to part one, go and listen to that one first as it sets the scene of Erica's story. In part two, which is this episode, we'll be looking at the lessons her traumas have taught her, reconnecting with her dad, which is just incredible how she explains it, how she is grateful for everyone who has hurt her or let her down, and how she uses her platform to help other women through the Queen of Confidence movement. We'll pick up where we left off from last week's chat. Enjoy. It was your husband, your husband now, Hamish is his name. He introduced you to a life coach here. And that there began you working on your shit and you working and taking and being where you are now. Were you nervous to dive into that work? A million percent. So I, it was so weird. In Sydney, when I left that guy, my roommate at the time, it was Easter. And I wasn't religious. I was raised like with the wolves. So I didn't have any religion. And me and Gio almost didn't believe in God at some point in the army. And then when he died, he came to me in a dream. Mm. But I feel like it wasn't a dream. I don't know. He came to me and said goodbye. And there was like two angels next to him. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I know. It was a fucking, I've never, I don't dream lucid. None of that shit. I never see ghosts. None of that cool stuff happens to me. So Gio was like there. And I'm like, oh my God, he did come and say goodbye. He did do that. So I was like, maybe there is a God. So I started going, maybe there's a God. And when you're in the the pit of despair, 
this is when people try to find something beyond themselves. So I was in Sydney. My roommate was gone. It was Easter weekend. And I was like, I'm going to find a church. I can't even believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to find a church. And I Googled a church. I walked from where we lived in Paddington, Oxford Street, and found mm-hmm. this church. And it was like, it was like Hillsong. It wasn't mm-hmm. Hillsong, but it was like Hillsong. And so I found like the cult church, right? So I'm like, okay, I love cults. I love cults, by the way. I was in a cult with Hamish. It's horrible. I feel like we built a cult with the women. <laughs> so I love community, right? Like, mm-hmm. I love community. So I went to that church, and I ended up literally like falling into like, you know, um, uh, Bible study and all this stuff and fully being churchy and then moving to Melbourne and kind of still holding on to the church vibe but then going I don't know if I believe that we have to rescue everyone like there was something that happened at the church and I was like I don't agree with that and I had to like move away but there was part of me that was like no religion then I went super hardcore then I meet Hamish who was like the universe mm-hmm. and the universe universe I'm like what the fuck do you mean God like what do you mean the universe so when he introduced me to Tanja I was like what is this fucking witch gonna do some stuff like I was like trying to pray to whatever god I knew so I was shitting myself I was mm. literally like oh my god what is she gonna do so that's what you were more looking for then like you know you were, you googled the church but you were looking for some sense of belonging and community and reason and purpose I suppose and then is that what you've then discovered through spirituality and life coaching and delving and owning your shit yeah yeah i think i think it happened like that and then when tanja took me on the journey of 12 months the minute that she opened like what we call like pandora's box Mm -hmm. and she took me the first session she took me to geo like she's like oh that's the big one let's go there it wasn't like let's ease into your pain it was like what's the biggest thing right now and it wasn't about childhood and sexual abuse it was about geo Mm. And it was like raw, fucked up. I was like, oh my God. And because she held space for me to go where I never wanted to go alone, which I think is what coaches and clairvoyants and energy healer people do, they don't heal you or fix you. You know, they hold space for you to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to do that in a supported container and, and it didn't mean anything. She didn't make it mean anything like therapy. It wasn't like, well, that means you're this, you know, whatever. It was just like, what are you finding here? What are you getting from this? So I kind of unraveled my own story and then I became really addicted to knowing why we do what we do mm-hmm. so that I go, oh, I'm not just fucked up. That's because I'm flat of fright. Oh, that's because when I'm seven, oh, that's why I don't trust people. Mm-hmm. That's my fear. And so it really... Almost it, like joining the pieces of a puzzle together. Totally. So it just helped me kind of bring it all together and see that like, hey, this is really good that this happened. Like in the sense of like, you know, if you didn't go through this, you wouldn't be able to see this right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so at that moment, that year when I started working on myself, every single time, and now this is how I see the world, when something air quotes bad happens to me, I literally go, what is this happening for? Mm. And so we had a miscarriage uh, two years ago before my second baby was born. And I swear to God, <laughs> Elena, I was in the hospital. We had to go to the hospital because it was tissue and I wanted mm-hmm. to check it out. I was in the hospital and I looked over to my husband and I was like, I can connect with women who've had a miscarriage now. And he was like, babe, really, fuck. And I was like, I can. I was like, that's why this happened. I can connect, I can now sit in their shoes and say, I understand you, I feel you. So literally, when you look at your life, all the bad air quotes things, and I say air quotes, it doesn't mean at the time when Gio died it wasn't bad, it was fucking horrible. Mm. And at that time I wasn't ready to work on it and heal it and all that bullshit. But once you move through the tough thing, when you look at your life and go, all of these bad things connect me to a certain group of people. I can talk to foster kids. I can talk to widows. I can talk to sexual abuse survivors. I can talk to moms. all these people, moms. Yeah. You know, I can talk to miscarried m- women. 
like I now have multi-dimensional, like I've made my awareness and my compassion and my heart and my my microphone big to reach all these people. So when I share something on my podcast, I openly share it because I know there's many people that can have went through that. And at least I go, hey, I see you. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're the same. And they go, oh shit. So consider when bad things happen to you, it just allows you to open to that group of people and maybe you're giving visibility. Maybe you're helping them heal just by you sharing your you know, boring story that you think, it doesn't need to be traumatic. Honestly, I don't know many people with my story. I'm not trying to be cool, but like, you probably won't get this and that's, it's good if you don't. So I feel like if I got this, there would have to be a reason. Mm-hmm. How am I gonna use this around the world to help women? And if you were gonna give that story to someone to do it, you would give them a big fucking story. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to be here. I'm okay. a puppet. <laughs> Absolutely, and even <laughs> even how the reason you're in Australia, yeah almost doesn't make sense but it does like you shouldn't there's no real reason for you to be us to be sitting here in Abbotsford right now like and literally I never knew about Australia I didn't come from money I didn't know about the map I actually thought anybody from Australia was from the UK you just it just wouldn't have been I can only imagine where you grew up in America Australia was never in your realm of possibility of being ever 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 so I am like I joke around about thank you assholes but like I'm super grateful to Paul you know, yeah. and if I see him now, we'll say, hey, I'm super grateful to everybody that's, I, 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 we recently went to New Zealand and did an event over there, and I literally, that night, I laid on the floor of the shower, crying, all the tears that I hadn't cried when my dad was here, because we didn't have time, it was like, now off to New Zealand, I cried, and I, like, I, I actually thanked all the abusers, all the bullies, all the bad things, I actually had gratitude in my heart, like, thank you to all of these people and these bad things, because I swear to God, if it wasn't for that, there's no way I would be who I am, and who I am is about being of service to others. Mm-hmm. So how could I, if I didn't go through the flames myself, tell you that, don't worry, honey, it's not that hot. It's like, well, you haven't fucking burned. Mm. And I've burned many times different fires. So it's like, it has to be for good. So now when something bad happens, I'm like, what am I gonna do with this? How can I share that message? How can, who can I connect with? Like, what's the good in this shit? And I really mean that. I don't mean it like a fluffy Instagram quote. No. It's like, I believe it because it's been my reality. And it's your lifestyle and your income and your job now, yeah. which I do want to get to. Well, no, actually, why don't we Why don't we do that now? Because that is what you do now. Yeah. You then turned your focus to, you've got this incredible, incredible podcast, which, as I said, I listened to it on the way here and I just felt all the feels. Um, and then you've got your, you were doing life coaching yourself um, and it's called The Sisterhood as well. And you mentor and coach these inc- these women from Melbourne and everywhere. Um, what has that work meant for you? Yeah. So I think it's, like I said before, I think it's like my initiation. Like you're not allowed and there's so many people out there. And if you're out there and you want to help women or you want to help men or you want to change the world, air quotes, like that's really cute to say and put it on a fucking T-shirt. But how do you change the world? We know that it starts with you. You know, you have to be willing to strip down. You have to be willing to expose yourself you know, metaphorically getting naked on the internet before someone's gonna trust you with their story, before someone's gonna take your advice. You know, you got 20 year old coaches that read a book and they're like, I'm a life coach and no offense, but like, what have you lived? You know, it's no joke when a woman sits across from you and tells you that her father sexually abused her for four years and then committed suicide Mm. and like left her money. It's like, what do you say to that? Like, you know, and I'm not saying you have to go through it in order to help someone, because if you can be compassionate, that's what we need. But there's a level of responsibility in in doing this work. And so for me, I think I got so excited when I was learning this stuff. 
I didn't want to teach. And I've got a lot of women I coach that are so excited they want to coach. And I'm like, honey, you're in year one of you learning for yourself. So like you have to do you first, fill your cup first, Mm -hmm. put the fucking air mask on. And then after that, I was like, shit, if this is working for me, how do I do more of it? So then I just got more work for me done. And then I, I was actually a stylist. I was, I was styling people, like teaching them how to dress because I was a hairdresser. Then I became a fashion stylist and took women shopping. And then I started doing events because again, I'm, I love community clearly. So I was like, if one woman struggles with this, I'm sure everybody struggles with this. Let's get a group. So we started doing events where it was called Styling Confidently and I would do it on the weekends because I, I had a job, you know, and it always was like a side hustle, almost like my my acting dream never happened and it was like my my side hustle is never really going to happen and so I loved it but I also didn't like the fact that we had to talk about clothing I wanted to talk about confidence like their inner world and so when I had my second son I was like fuck it I'm going to scrap styling. I'm going to be a confidence coach. I don't even know if that's a thing. I'm going to talk about how women can own who they are as they are, fucked up, hot mess, trauma, whatever, not special enough. And I'm going to do workshops on helping them claim their confidence. Mm-hmm. And I and I had eight years and $100,000 almost worth of my own coaching. That's why I didn't go to school. I'm like, that is my school. Like, my story is my school. Some of you need to go to school, okay? <laughs> like, please, you know? But for me, it was like my responsibility was my school. So then I thought, I'm going to do this. And the minute I did that, I just, that was my moment of authenticity, like sharing on Instagram everything. Like, I started sharing about my car accident first. That was the first one because it was scary to share that I had a husband. Yeah. So then I, then I said, my husband died. And then little by little, I kind of started sharing it. And we, we started life coaching in 2018. So I've only had this business, this coaching business, for like 18 or 19 months. And what's it grown into now? Like within the first year, we had no, I was telling you earlier, we had no money because I had a second son. Uh, I was working for a hair company and I, I stopped working. My husband has a gym. It was Christmas. The gym dies at Christmas and New Year's, right? So when we eat all the bad food and then we come back in February. So yeah, so it was like, we had no money. Literally a second baby. I bought a fucking Tiguan Volkswagen car because we have a family of four. We're like, what are we going to do? And I said to him, I don't want to go back to hair. I don't want to go back to style. I'm going to do this. And I did my first event. I promoted it. Um, people bought tickets to it. I started coaching women. I asked my coach, the one who helped me, like, can you give me the approval? Do I need to go to school? She's like, girl, are you kidding me? You were born for this shit. Like, look at your life. You were born to do this. And still she calls me. She's like, I'm so proud of you. She's a dear friend. I gave her my firstborn baby. She's the godmother. Because she, she changed my life. My husband changed my life. She changed my life. And then she said to me, just go for it. I got a side job so that I could be, you know, pay my bills and my children because we could not buy bread. So I had to get a job. And then I was coaching people um, in this office, which looked totally different. And one-on-one coaching women, trying out what I was doing. Um, We then said we need more. Like we need to be able to help more than one woman at a time. And then we started this group coaching program. So our first year, we had no money to buy bread to six figures. We made $158,000, which was insane because I never had any money. Like, I don't have money. I'm not smart. Like, technically, I didn't go to college. You know, bad money beliefs, credit card debt. We paid off all that. And then the second year was like, we're going to expand this and get a group. And so now we have like 95 women in Melbourne in the sisterhood. So it's basically coaching in a group. Uh, so it's full day events we do and like we do hot seat coaching so I coach them one-on-one in a group setting so everybody gets to witness the woman's pain and people are like oh my god that sounds so scary I don't want to expose myself in front of others but I was saying to you earlier like if you only knew that your story 
whatever, how big or small, has the ability to help other people if you're willing to be vulnerable enough to share it. And so these women get up and I coach them and we have this tribe and, and then we did it online in the same year. We're like, let's do an online version of this. So we have women in like 12 countries and we do six modules, same six days, but online. Um, we do live events, we do master classes. We, we just, I just, this is my life. Like literally, I think, thank fuck that all that terrible shit happened to me. Thank you, Hamish, my husband. Thank you, universe. Now he's doing stuff for men by mistake because the women have husbands. Mm. And they're like, my husband needs this. So my husband by mistake, you know, he's a shamanic healer, meditation and personal trainer. Now he starts coaching men. So men are coming here opening up about sexual abuse, about wanting to kill themselves, about, so like we by mistake are creating this like masculine feminine power of raw real tribe and like possibly probably gonna do couple shit soon because mm -hmm. of course we are. So it's like, what a fucking life. Like how can I be resentful to my mother, you know? And when she comes here, I still exercise the fucking work that I tell my ladies to do because I want to punch her in the face. Mm -hmm. But I mean, she's my teacher. <laughs> And what does, you know, what kind of feedback do you get? What do women tell you? Well, I mean, it's amazing. Like, you've changed my life. Your podcast has changed my life. And I, and I highly think, like, and this is for anybody out there who thinks they want to do something. I always say, like, whether you work with me or not, it's not about that. It's just about find someone that can help you get out of your shit. I'm not anti-therapy. I did therapy for 18 years of my life. I was in therapy since I was four years old until when Gio died. And for me, I just think talking about what happened to you again and again, your mind doesn't know the difference when you're thinking a thought or it's happening. Mm. So if you take yourself to the trauma again and again, you're literally conditioning your body with trauma. So I go back to Gio's death 50 times and he died once. We don't need to do that. Mm. So for me, it's like, is, is therapy keeping us stuck sometimes, you know? And no offense to therapists out there, I think there's forms that are good, you have to find what's good for you. But for me, I was like, I wanna do coaching, which is about how do we get you right now where you wanna be? Like, what's the right now? What can you do? How can you be responsible? And, um, you know, Will Smith talked about this a lot because I always tell my clients, like, people cannot trigger you. People can't make you feel any way. It's up to you. And people are like, how could you say that? I have PTSD. I was abused. I'm like, I get it. Like, hold on a minute. I'm the one telling you this. I got a story, too. So I just say, like, how can you be responsible for now transforming your life? So if you've got given fucking lemons, great. How the fuck do you slice them up? How do you peel off the fucking rotten shit? How do you grind it up, make a fucking martini? You know, can you, what can you do with it? Like, what can you do with that tree that's fucked up and rotten? Shake it, use the good ones, the bad ones, put them away. Do Like, we have the ability to do something with what we got given. Mm. And so I think that that is our responsibility. It might not be your fault that you were sexually abused, Erica, but it's your responsibility to fix that shit so when you get into a relationship with a man you're not all weird about the sex and you don't teach your kids that sex is bad and naughty and weird does that make sense like mm -hmm. we have to deal with our shit or it's going to deal with us absolutely and it's called uh you call yourself the queen of confidence and you know this feels so obvious because you can hear in every word you 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 radiate confidence but what does the word confidence mean to you firstly and secondly why do you think women shy away from being confident and, and are almost allergic to being confident in themselves. Anaphylactic, what's yeah. going on? <laughs> need an EpiPen. Yeah. <laughs> we can be the EpiPen. This That's what you podcast are. podcast <laughs> is an EpiPen for you. So I love that. I'm a metaphor lover. Um, so confidence to me just means that you are willing to show up 
whilst you are literally shitting yourself. Like skid marks in your undies and pee running down your leg, messing up your spray tan, but you're fucking there. You know, like you're like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so freaked out, but I'm not gonna not show up. And that's what I feel like confidence is because you can't you can't be confident without moving through really scary, horrible, discomforting emotions. Like, how are you gonna be resilient when you've lived nothing? Mm -hmm. Like, I had a perfect life and everything was great. I wanna be resilient. Guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get some fucked up shit to happen to you and then you're gonna overcome it, like you, and you're gonna be resilient. That's how you get resilience. Mm -hmm. So it's like confidence is you, like your ability to take action while you're shitting yourself, you know? Yeah. Like that's what it feels like. And why do you think women, you know, aren't? Yeah, why do you think they're not confident? Why, or why, are we, why, are we, why does society teach women, I guess, to hide that confidence and that glow? I don't, know, I don't know if it like teaches us. I think we're not aware that we're getting sold to. We're not aware that our insecurities are great marketing tools. We're not aware of any of that stuff. And I think we're starting to like wake up. Like the, the whole world's starting to, you know, Netflix specials and documentaries and people are becoming more aware of things. But I think what I ask this question at every single workshop I do and what I get always is social media, judgment, fear of being seen, fear of failure, fear of success, my parents' conditioning, the media, you know, it's, these are all the reasons. But what I think is like, we haven't allowed ourselves to go there. Like we haven't, we think that confidence is like a woman standing on the TEDx stage with a hot pink cape going, da 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 da, I did my TED talk, I'm so confident, I'm amazing. Or like the end result of confidence, we see that. Mm -hmm. We don't see how much self-doubt, self-hate, I call it like the jungle of confidence. Like how, we don't see all the things Erica had to move through to make it and be like, I'm the queen of confidence. I love pink. I'm a coach. I'm going to change your life. Like people don't see what I had to go through. And so I think it, it sucks because we think confidence is what we want. But really what you want is to be able to move through the discomfort and keep showing up and fuck it up and get back up and fuck it up and get back up publicly and feel shame and get back up and feel guilt and get it wrong air quotes like be wrong be bad go the wrong way for four years and be a fucking stylist to then go oh i was always meant to be a life coach that's the way it's like messy as hell mm -hmm. but we stop and then we judge ourselves and then we compare ourselves so it's like nobody's confident that's what i believe i believe no one's confident i believe we're all in a practice like meditation like when you're in meditation you're constantly practicing how to come back to your breath and not think you know all the many thoughts or you're in yoga you're literally in the practice of yoga trying to get the moves you don't make it in yoga you don't make it in meditation and you don't make it in confidence mm. you are in a practice where you continuously commit to showing up and, and practicing like sometimes hourly sometimes daily sometimes the practice is second to second but you're in it you know mm, absolutely and this is a very big question because you've you know you've endured so much but can you think of what the top, I don't know, let's say three lessons that you've learned throughout your experiences have taught you? Oh, my gosh. Okay, the top three. Um, I think number one is, and, and it was the question you had asked earlier, I think number one is that there is a force beyond you that wants you to win. And there is a force, like let's call it hope or inspiration or belief that it's inside buried deep in all of us and depends on how much you squashed it or your family or whoever squashed it down it may be a really silent voice but if you get quiet and you turn off all the external bullshit noise and comparison you can hear your own inner like queen of confidence mm -hmm. 
and the name comes from that like it's my alter ego like I'm not her you're her we're all her she's in there and so I think the biggest lesson for me has been like inside you is this platinum gold beautiful treasure glowing orb of amazingness and it has no gender it has no name it has no labels it's just like your spirit and it's like it wants you to win and it's and it's in all of us and if we can get quiet enough that is what guides you it's like your gut and your intuition. So I've learned to listen to that and know that there's something beyond my thoughts mm -hmm. that's moving me along, whatever you want to call it. That's the truth. Um, and then number two, I feel like uh, being responsible, becoming responsible for your results is a big one for me because uh, a lot of the things that happened to me weren't my fault. You know, I, I didn't free will choose them. But now that I am still alive and I'm a grown up and you made it, like meaning you didn't die. So if you're alive and you made it through the hard shit that you made it through, whatever that is for you, it's now your responsibility to work on why you don't have what you want in your life. And pointing the finger at everybody is not gonna do it for you. You have to look in the mirror and be like, how is it me? And if it's me, where can I, what can I do? Mm. And a good question that I love asking myself and I recommend you ask yourself is, what can I do? Mm. You know, I can't do a podcast because I don't have a microphone. What can I do? Like, what? how can you do something? What, what is it that you can do? And so I think being responsible, which is heavily bleeds into my work, uh, biggest lesson, responsibility. Um, God, and the last one, and responsibility, sorry, also teaches me that I can manifest the man of my dreams. Like, he's literally a dream. I literally have a most fucking perfect life. <laughs> I, I told you all that shit, but my life is perfect. I just need like work on the mom tummy and I'm, I'm fucking perfect. <laughs> like got a great work, my husband's great, I got kids, we're healthy, we got money, my business is amazing, I get to wake up and change the world, that's my life, that's my job, that's my work. So you, I made that, because it could have went another way, right? So, and then the third one, I, I firmly believe that we're here to help others. Like that's what I wanna teach my children. If I die, like tell everyone, like I feel like we're here to help and be of service. And so I, I invite myself always to go, how can I be of service? Like if I shine really bright, someone's gonna see my light and be like, oh, there I can go that way. Mm. You know, if I stay really quiet and I hide, I don't get to be great and I don't get to show you how great I am, which doesn't inspire you to be great. So the Marianne Williamson quote, you know, our biggest fear is not that we are inadequate. I, 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 I live by that shit and I think that, you know, I'm so grateful that I can, I can shine and the tall poppy bullshit, we need to stop telling ourselves that. We called it a syndrome. Everybody has it, we just called it tall poppy, right? Mm -hmm. And so you fuck yourself over, you lose, and you don't help others. And so I feel like we are actually here to find a way to be of service to ourselves and to others. And if we just did that all day, is find a way to be kind to someone else and start with us, the whole fucking planet would benefit from it mm -hmm. and there wouldn't be so much anger and resentment. Yeah. They're incredible, incredible lessons. Maybe you can draw on them then for my next question yeah. is um, for the first time in 20 years, you've touched on it, that you had your mum and dad mm -hmm. here over, Chris, over New Year's. And when I was listening to your podcast, it really hit me in all the feels that you said for the first time you had one hand on your dad and what oh, makes me emotional and one hand on your mum. Mm -hmm. What was this has just happened? What what yeah. was that like? Yeah, that was insane because I I didn't I don't know what where it came from, but the idea 
you know, of me and my dad would talk on Facebook, but the idea, you know what it was? Financials. We made money to be able to pay for a ticket for him to come. And I hate that money stops us from doing things that would change our lives. And I was like, you know what? I want him to come here. My mom's going to be here. She comes every Christmas. That's what we do for her. She comes here. And I said, I want him to come. And I said to my husband, I'm not going to tell my mom. It's going to be a surprise. And he's like, that may not go very well. <laughs> because just P.S., my mom hasn't been sick in 15 years. Wow. Yeah. What's been the change there? She went to church. And for her, you know, not my choice, but for her, it's helped her. So she's wow. got the community, the church. Her belief is there because God is blah, blah, blah. She takes her meds. She's got all the support in America. Like she's got all like the nurses and the caseworkers and all that. So she hasn't been sick for 15 years, which wow. is incredible. So she's not mentally ill. She's a pain in my ass, but she's not mentally ill, right? Which is great. So, I, you know, she's going to be here. But my husband's like, just in case, what if she gets sick and triggers her? I'm like, she'll be fine. So I called my dad and I said, listen, I'd love for you to come. Would you, you know, get a ticket? And would you come? And he said, yeah, I would, tell, I would love to see you. So I knew he was coming. And maybe two weeks before he came, I ended up telling my mom, who was already here, well, how would you feel if he came? And she's like, I'd be fine. It's cool. You know, whatever. I haven't seen him in 20 years. And I'm like, me neither. Literally, I said, he could be a murderer. <laughs> like, I actually, actually don't know who this man is. Did you last see him when he took you when yeah. he yeah was that the last time or? well he, he he reckons that he came when I was 12 years old to Boston and saw me and I kind of remember seeing him but again the trauma was so big at seven that that's all I remembered yeah. so that is my truth that that seven-year-old thing and then I remember talking to him over the phone I saw him at 16 because I went with this guy that I was dating to Puerto Rico yeah I went and saw him but I don't I don't think I ended up seeing him long I think I saw his family but not him so he's got like eight kids I just found out this trip that he's got eight. I thought it was seven. So I'm one of eight, like eight with him. So I'm like, cool, it'll be fine. If he's a weirdo, he can stay in an Airbnb, whatever. We're going to bring him. He's coming. My husband was super excited. His family was excited. And it, and I told my mom, and she goes, that's fine. I'm cool. Like, she wasn't, like, excited about it, but she was like, yeah, whatever. I, it'll be good for you. So he... Um, he was coming and my, my in-laws were going to Thailand, which they never go to Thailand. My husband has a brother there. So they have this big house in Melbourne and they're like, why don't you all stay here? Because our house is tiny and that's going to be ridiculous and we won't be here. So my mom's at their house, my, my, my husband, me and all of our kids. And my husband's like, we can't take two cars with the kids to pick up your dad. You have to go by yourself. And I was like, fuck. I don't want to go by myself. Like, are you kidding me? I have to go pick up my dad by myself because it's a big trip, like an hour to go to the airport. Mm -hmm. And I was freaking out. I was late. I ended up going to the airport and being like, okay, fuck, I'm going to pick him up. I'm late, whatever. And I get there and literally he's like the only one standing. And I looked and I was like, that is my father. And he looks so much like me. He's like little. He was standing there looking around, like worried. Where was I? But like for a second, I had a moment of like, he doesn't know I'm here. I'm just going to look at him like that's my dad in Australia. Like, what the fuck? I haven't seen him since I was like, I don't know, like 20 years. So then I walked up to him and he just like hugged me and he was crying and I was crying. And it was like this, it was like this awkward hug of like, I kind of don't want to see your face because it's going to be real. So I'm just going to hug this man. And then I saw his face and he was bawling his eyes out and I was crying and we were just like, oh my God, like you're here. And it was, it was, un it was surreal. It was like surreal. So we took a photo. <laughs> So I'm like, we need to take a photo. And meanwhile, I'm sharing all this on my Instagram, which is not a strategy. I just keep it real because people benefit from this. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maria's sobbing. 
But like I had I had message after message like I haven't seen my dad in 12 years. My dad died of cancer. I haven't seen my mom. This makes me wanna and look. Let me just tell you like, before we get to the end of it. Like it is not easy. It could have went another way. He could have been a fucking alcoholic still. My mom could have went sick. They could have a fight. But I was willing to do it. Like I was like I don't care what I have to lose. Like he could die next week. I want to know who this man is. So he's in the car and he's I'm talking to him and I'm like listen. My, my mom knows you're coming, but like she's got a bunch of stories about how she thinks things were, so please don't fight with her. If she thinks she's right, just walk away. And he's like, oh, I wouldn't do that anyway. I'm like, amazing. Like he was really like switched on. And it, I was like, you know, I thought my whole life when I did see him that I was gonna be like, how dare you leave me at two? I was your first daughter, you're an asshole. How could you leave me and kidnap me? That never came out, because I had healed all of that. So I didn't need him to apologize. I didn't need that. I wanted to get to know him. But I did talk to him about it and I was like, what happened? And it was like, I was sobbing because he was telling me like, you know, your mom had you and you guys almost died and I knew she would always get sick and you would be in homes with who knows what homes you'd be in and I didn't want any man to take you that wasn't your dad. And so he was like, I tried when you were young, your mom would try to put you in the seatbelt and she wouldn't buckle you up and she would leave you on the side of the street. And like, he was like saying these stuff that I never knew. My mom wasn't gonna fucking tell me that because her story was always, I'm good, blah, blah, blah. So I was just like in awe, like how hard would it have been for him? And yeah, he was a drug dealer. He was a big hustler, drug dealer and playboy because he's gorgeous. He's 63 and he's beautiful looking. I was like, oh my God, you look amazing. So I get it that he wasn't who he needed to be, but he would have been navigating what he was navigating. Then he's got a mentally ill woman he's had a baby with. She's not strapping the baby, looking after the baby. So he's like, I can't do this. So he tried to take her to Puerto Rico. I went when I was two, which I didn't know. And she tried to do it and it didn't work. She got sick, it didn't work out. So he kind of had to say goodbye to that relationship. So I'm like in awe understanding this new story that I never had a part of my vocabulary. I didn't understand that. And so we just, we talked, we talked, and then I got home and I filmed my husband opening the door because I knew my husband was gonna be emotional and that really made me emotional because he knows everything about me. And so that was emotional. And then my kids were like, staring at him and because he's so like energetic like me like he's like hey like my mom's not like that you know which I was like how come I'm not like my mom <laughs> makes sense so he's like jumping up and down the kids run to him are kissing they fell in love with him and he ended up being the most incredible grandfather because he has other grandkids he was so switched on like he understood when to talk and not talk he could meet people he was very easygoing my mom's hard work you know so me and Hamish were like holy shit like he lives in a poor country, Puerto Rico. Like, they just got hit with that hurricane and all the earthquakes. And, like, for us to buy him dinner, like, we took him to the Crown Casino, and he was, like, crying. Like, I, he took a bath in their bathtub, and he's like, I feel like a king, like, because I set up a nice bath with crystal things and, like, you know, the whatever those Epsom salt mm -hmm. and he's just like I feel like a king I've never been treated like this and he started crying and he was like I can't believe you're treating me like this like you didn't have to and thank you because maybe he thought I was going to be angry at him maybe he thought he was going to have to answer to an angry daughter with all these questions and accusations and because of the work that I've done on my mind and what I teach my women like I wasn't like that you know and it just allowed for so much to blossom and my mom was uptight the whole time. And then um, finally, two days before he left, she 
opened up and started talking to him and said, I'll help you, I'll help you do this. They like got to chatting. I joked around and was like, maybe two more weeks and they would totally have sex, like <laughs> just just to do it, you know? Like she opened up, but she said to me, like, and I kind of judged her and she's like, Erica, you don't understand for me. He beat my ass, like he hit me with a shoe, he sold drugs, he cheated on me, like he left you, he didn't give me money. So she's got a story, you know? And here he is in front of her. She thought I would, she was like, I thought I would never see him again. It must have been incredibly healing for her as well, not even realizing going into coming to a show. She didn't know it was coming. Like, what an opportunity for her to grow as well. Yeah. And I think she probably wouldn't use the word healing. I think she would say, like, that was, uh, like, traumatizing or that was full on. But, like, it did after those two days. And she said to me, like, I'm really proud of you for doing this. And I know you needed to do this. Um, and I'm really proud of you. And I'm happy that you got that, you know, that that story reconnected and that you guys are together. And like, we all chatted. We had a big, I filmed it because I'm like, listen, this is what I do. So you guys need to be okay with this. Because people are like, how did you get them on camera? I'm like, I just said, like, I want to capture this. This is a really important moment for my lineage and my children and my generational shit. Like, I, we like healed timelines. Like, Absolutely. I was healing my five-year-old, two-year-old, eight-year-old self. And I think in New Zealand, when I had that breakdown and cried, I was really allowing myself to process my dad and the stories and like almost like recreating my five-year-old self. It was so fucking insane. Like, what? And like, I don't know when he'll go or I'll go or my mom will go. But like, the fact that we have that and what it took was letting go of my stories, letting go of my ego, letting myself be wrong about what I thought was who he was. And he ended up like when he left, I actually cried so bad. Like I didn't want him to go. And I felt really sad. I was like, actually, at the airport, I was like, I don't want you to leave. Like, I never feel like that about my mom. I love her, but she, I know she has to go. But like, I was like, I don't want my dad to go. And like, my dad, like, I have a dad? Like, what the fuck? I've never had a dad. And to like touch my mom and my dad and my kids were there. I just wanted me and them. I didn't even care that my kids and my husband was there. I was like, I just want to put my hands on my father and my hands on my mother and be like, you guys are my parents. And we're like, we're all in the same room together and you're alive, like, that was just, I can't even comprehend that. Like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to comprehend that moment. Never mind, like, how perfect it was, because he was incredible. And he was like, it's all right, your mom's a pain in the ass, it's cool, I know, she's always been like that, blah, blah. And I was like, what? Like, I've never shared my mom with anyone. Like, I've never yeah. been able to say, like, my husband jokes, and he's like, she's a pain in the ass. But, like, he knows her, he lived with her, he made a baby with her. Like, I've never had that with someone, and, like, he cooked. And he like, we had a big party and all like the most important people to me came. <laughs> it was like, is this, is this a joke? Like, am I gonna die right now? Like, this is a joke. Like I was like, all of the most, like my coach Tanja was there. My husband was there, my kids were there. Like my in-laws weren't there, which made me so sad because they're amazing. But like, I felt like Gio was there. Like Gio's in my life so much now because I have healed it. So I play his music and I bring him back and Hamish and I it's like bless him and celebrate him and it's like ridiculously fake perfect life that I have manifested now from literally from the rubble of shit, you know, like rubble of shit. And yeah, he said words and he's like, I can't believe I have a daughter. I can't believe you're like this. And he knows what I do. I, I took him to the Melbourne Expo Center where we're going to have our events now. Like I'm going to have my events. The Melbourne Convention Center, like, who the fuck am I? Like, this is year and a half in my business, like, changing women's lives. And, like, my dad was there, and he was like, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, this is so good that you're doing this and sharing. I'm just, like, crying on your microphone. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> you know, like, I was like, 
And my mom's in there. She's like, yeah, this place looks expensive. I'm like, okay, mom, whatever. <laughs> but like, you know you know what I mean? So it's not all perfect. My mom's a pain in the ass. I love her. We love each other. And she teaches me and I teach her. But like to have that like be the, the story as to like, and then we filmed the whole thing because my videographer came and like filmed it. And like I can share that. And I, that's my life. Like I feel like this stuff happened for me. It's not my story. Like I have to share it. How dare I think that that's just for me. That's why I don't see people one-on-one anymore, by the way, because how dare you sit in a therapist's room crying to the therapist about how fucked up you are when you are just like everyone else and then if you would open that up and sit in a community and sit in a circle and share that, you would not only help yourself but other people and then you would feel like accepted. So it's like, I was like, of course this happened. Of course, of course. Like everything's like puzzle pieces, like you said, Mm -hmm. making sense. Mm -hmm. And like, how did I ever not know I was going to do this for work? Mm -hmm. And like now the fire's so much more. It's like, I have to get, I have to go to LA. I have to go in front of people. I don't care if I make money with it. I just need to get in front of people and like be the example. Like I had no money. I didn't know business. I didn't have a good upbringing, like all the bad things. And like, I have a perfect life right now, like almost, you know? And like, you can have that too. Like, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? Like. Wow, that is oh, that is powerful. Thank you. I could speak to you literally forever, but I do have to let you, let you go because I've taken up so much of your time. But the last question I do want to, I always finish with my guests, is what would the Erica now, sitting in front of me, you've just finished telling me that you've got this perfect life, and I know perfect, yeah. you don't mean perfect as imperfect, but this yeah. life you never imagined. What would this Erica tell the Erica in those darkest, hardest moments? Yes. What What would you tell her? Okay, this is very trippy because I feel like I was telling her that, but I didn't know it was me. Does that make sense? It was like, it doesn't matter what's happening to you right now. Like, all of this is going to make sense. You have to keep going. Like, you have to keep going. You have to keep shining. You're going to be okay. Not only okay, but you're going to make it. And it was always what I would say to myself is, you're going to be okay. Like, you know, you asked me that before. You're going to be okay. You're not going to die. You're going to be okay. And it was like, if I don't die... If I'm alive still, then I have another chance. So even when I didn't want to, it was always like, you're going to be okay. And this year I had to change that because I don't want to be okay. I want to fucking kill it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, energetically I had Mm -hmm. to change that. But that is what got me through. And it was like this voice, this thing, like a coat hanger holding me up. And even though I was like hanging from a thread and my buttons were on the ground and I'm like, I'm fucking done. It was like the coat hanger was like, no, you're going to be okay. I'm holding you up. You can drag down there, but you're going to come back up and we're going to button you up and you're fucking awesome. But then it would like, so it was just like that. It was like, whatever happens, you can do this. You're super strong. You're going to be okay. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. Holy shit. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you have been epic and incredible and far out. Thank you so, so much again for your time and your vulnerability and for being so honest and sharing your story how you did. You are changing lives. So thank you. <laughs> I feel emotional I again. God. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. A huge thank you to the incredible Erica for speaking so candidly. I think we can all agree this woman is seriously changing the world. You can check out Erica at the Queen of Confidence on Instagram. I'll also pop a link to her website in the show notes. As always, you can find me at Elizabeth O'Neill. And if you've got a second, I'd be so appreciative if you could leave a kind review, hit five stars and click subscribe. That helps other people find the podcast who might really need it. Thank you so much for listening once again guys I'll be back in your earphones on Thursday thanks bye
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.